journalism for a time sort of lost its way in terms of being an institution that people thought was on their side and that spoke truth to power and it was willing to stand up to authority. I think the press in general lost that thread a bit and are paying the price for it. People's confidence in the institutions of power has been plummeting. That's true for politicians and members of Congress, and it's especially true for the media. To paraphrase Sally Field, they don't like us. They really, really don't like us. I'm Michael O'Connell, and this is It's All Journalism. Kyle Pope's three decades of media experience include stops at the Wall Street Journal, Condé Nast, and the New York Observer. Kyle currently serves as the publisher and the editor-in-chief at the Columbia Journalism Review, which serves as both a watchdog and advocate for the press. Welcome to the podcast, Kyle. Yeah, thanks for having me. So the reason I invited you to come on the podcast is to talk about a poll that the Review just published in partnership with Reuters and Ipsos entitled, <laughs> How Does the Public Think Journalism Happens? First of all, what prompted the Review to conduct this poll? So, you know, we've been sort of watching these numbers having to do with trust in media decline over time or years. And we are sort of struck by the fact that we live in a moment right now where there's sort of this electric debate about the press and its role and whether we should trust it and how partisan it is. And so one of the things that we did was we decided we do, a, in addition to publishing on the web, we do quarterly print magazines at CJR, which are, which are organized around a single topic. And I just became really fascinated by the idea of devoting an entire issue of CJR to how journalism looks from the outside. So instead of talking to reporters about how they do their jobs or what their approach is, we wanted to kind of turn the camera around and focus it on people either who have been the subjects of journalism or have been sources or just have sort of an outsider's perspective. So that was why we came up with this idea to sort of try to dig beneath this question of why don't you trust media to what do you think we do? I mean, how do you think journalism works? Because I do think that there's a lot of mystery around all this and some of it's our fault and some of it is like people have like lives to lead and they can't really take the time to dig into how we do our job. So that's what we were trying to figure out. Okay. And what was the methodology of the poll? How did, you know, who did you talk to and you know, how did you gather the information? So um, we partnered with Reuters and Reuters Ipsos, which you mentioned before, and they're one of the big players in this world. The poll was conducted online, which is how they do all their polling. It was in December, and that has to do with the lead time for our print magazine, all in the U.S. And there were responses from 4,214 people, roughly split between people who identified themselves as Democrats and people who identified themselves as Republicans. So what do you see as the chief takeaways from the, from this poll? Yeah, I mean, on the one hand... I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here. Yeah, there's a lot in here. And we tried to kind of boil it down. I mean, on the one hand, it sort of reinforced what we knew. We, one of the questions we asked him was, how much confidence do you have in a bunch of different institutions? And again, the press is near the bottom. If you could look at it compared to the military or law enforcement or universities, the only one that was worse in the trust in general was Congress, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I guess, not surprising. Thank um, God. <laughs> you know, one of the other interesting things that we did was we tried to dig under this term mainstream media, which has sort of been 
sort of been weaponized, frankly, on the right to be a kind of smear. So what we wanted to ask is, you know, who do you think is mainstream? And when you think of the press, what do you think is mainstream? And, and that was, I thought, pretty interesting. I mean, on the one hand, there was like the usual, you know, people that you would expect, CBS, NBC. But, you know, there were places like TMZ. TMZ was considered more mainstream, for instance, than Rachel Maddow. The National Enquirer was considered more mainstream than Vice News. So that was pretty interesting. But I think the thing that sort of took us back the most was we tried to think of, like, what are some, like, fundamental misconceptions that people have about how the meet, how reporters do their jobs. So we decided one of the things we asked them was, do you think that reporters are paid by their sources? Which you and I know is a taboo that actually doesn't happen by reputable news organizations. But we asked, do you think either sometimes or often that reporters get paid by their sources? 60% of the people overall said they thought that they were paid. And overwhelmingly believed by Republicans, 70%. But even Democrats, more than half the Democrats we polled, 54% believe reporters get paid by their sources sometimes or very often. And again, like that's like, that's really stark and that's really jarring to those of us who um, in the business, um, uh, you know, wouldn't think that that would be the case. I mean, I don't know if it surprised you, but it did surprise me. It surprised me a lot. And I'd written down those numbers as well. You know, on the one hand, you could say, oh, of course, the right, is, you know, the Republicans are going to going to think that. But to see that the majority of Democratic respondents as well felt that that we were paid by our sources is kind of concerning. And I like the fact that this poll, this is this is really kind of a um, a glass of cold water thrown in in the newsroom's face, I think. Uh-huh. And I think it's kind of important because. You know, sometimes we'll we'll report something, we'll write about something, and we will get a response back from the public, and we're kind of we don't understand it. It's like because of where we're sitting and the things that we believe and we know and how we work, we're like I don't know why they think that. I don't know. So, an opportunity to have somebody from the outside say, "Well, this is what we're seeing when we look at you." Yeah. You know, I I don't I think maybe when we look in the mirror that we we see something. You know, we see our <laughs> we see our eighteen year old self. You know, when in actuality, we might be a lot of older and a little fatter and, and need a little exercise. So let me address some of these other issues in here as well. One of the questions you asked, this is sort of the, the confidence where you, you kind of broke it down by respondents, political party, racial makeup, gender and education. And the majority of the respondents across all groups said that they only have some confidence or hardly any confidence at all in the press. What are, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, those overall confidence questions, I mean, we ask them, and and what's interesting about them is that people have been asking them now for decades. So you have a kind of timeline of this to look back on. Um, That, to me, wasn't that surprising. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things I like to try to think about is, you know, what is the sort of broader context of this stuff? And even though, you know, we ask people compared to, these other institutions, or do you, do you have confidence in these other institutions? But the truth is that in America in 2019, trust in uh, institutional trust across the board is down. So mm-hmm. whether you're talking about schools, whether you're talking about universities, whether you're talking about religion, whether you're talking about uh, corporate America, and certainly whether you're talking about Congress or the press, 
people don't trust institutions. And I think there was, you know, I think I think a lot of news consumers sort of decided that um, the news business was part of the sort of power structure of America that wasn't working for them. And I think, you know, I've written before that I think that they're on to something. I do think that journalism for a time sort of lost its way in terms of being being an institution that people thought was on their side and that spoke truth to power and it was willing to stand up to authority. I think the press in general lost that thread a bit and they are, are paying the price for it. So what do you think are some of the factors that, that led to this lack of trust? You know, if you look at the, if you look at the, the numbers about the trust in media, I mean, it's always, it's never been great. I mean, look, I mean, right. <laughs> we've, we've been in this business a long time and, you don't win popularity by contest by walking to a party and saying you're a reporter. Um, yeah, that's always been yeah. the case. And 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 there's part and for a lot of us who are in it, uh, the dirty secret is that that's part of the appeal. We like that part of being a kind of outsider, a kind of classic feel. Anyway, so what happened is that you, if you look at the trust numbers, they really declined around the time of the financial crisis, which was in 2007, 2008. Uh, trust in the press. Um, because I, th you know, I think partly because people thought, you know, the, the media didn't do a very good job of warning them that this was coming. They, they didn't seem to really, you know, they seemed to sort of have coddled some of the Wall Street people who were later sort of blamed for helping accelerate the crisis. You know, a lot of people lost their homes and they lost their livelihoods and, and they didn't have the sense that media was on their side and understood what they were going through. And again, I think there's a lot of truth in that. So, but, but what happened is it dipped, it dipped sharply around then and it's basically never recovered. So this has been now, we're, we're going on more than a decade where trust in media is just sort of stayed flat. And then, so when people, when people say, well, Donald Trump created this, it's, you know, I, that's definitely not true. Um, this, this existed before he came on the scene. I mean, I think what he did was, he put a language to it and he and he made it i believe it is arguably the central plank of his presidency i mean if you look at other policy issues that he sort of flirted with and embraced and then threw out and then toyed with and then got bored with his focus on the media as as a foil or even as an enemy has been the one consistent thing that he sort of carried through his entire presidency and i'm and i have no doubt that's going to continue for the rest of it yeah, and, and appears to have some resonance with with his supporters. I mean, you look back in those ten years. I mean, where was our industry in those ten years? What were we dealing with? Certainly, the the financial crisis you know impacted uh, newspapers, news news outlets across the country. You know, layoffs, papers disappearing, you know, staff shrinkage, forcing us to cover fewer things in different areas. You know, things like that. That you know, we're we're not doing what maybe we were able to do before when we were in a you know as an industry we're in a more financially stable situation itself. Yeah, I sort of view that more as an excuse than an explanation, really. Okay, um, well, I'm giving out excuses today, I guess. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's I, a, I think that like you know, if you look at the coverage of the 2016 presidential yeah. campaign. I mean, you know, we and everybody else has done postmortems on that. And I, I just think there's no question now that it was a failure of journalism. I think people people became much more obsessed with the horse race and the kind of inside politics part of it and the polling behind it. And 
you know, Hillary's emails and Trump's personality and lost the thread of the stuff that people in the country really wanted to read about the policies that were really going to affect them. Like what, what are these, what does this campaign mean for their, for education, for their kids, for their taxes, for their healthcare. And if you look at, I mean, we've, we've done analysis of how many stories were devoted to different, to the horse race versus policy versus personality. And it, and it, and it skewed way to the side of the horse race and the personality stuff and not to the stuff that people over and over again say they want to read about. So I think there was a failure of an approach and an imagination that I definitely think that we have to learn the lessons of that as we, as we go into 2020. To your point though, I mean, obviously, um, this is what's so, this is what's so kind of dramatic about what's going on now with the media because all of these huge questions about how people see us and how we do our jobs and, you know, questions about objectivity and, and, you know, how much should we call Trump out if he lies and, and if we think he's a racist. And these are big, huge, you know, fundamental issues about how you go about doing journalism. They're all coming at a kind of time of existential crisis, business crisis for the industry, right? So, yeah. so you know, people are just, you know, the news business is pretty much across the board in terrible financial shape. Um, so there, you know, there is a desperate dash to just try to figure out how we're going to keep the lights on and keep people employed. I mean, there's been there's a few bright spots, you know, where big newspapers like the Times or the Post or the Wall Street Journal are seeing big bumps in subscription revenues. But for the most part, that's not the case around the country. So, you know, there, this has all come together at, and I think that's one of the reasons why people are particularly sensitive and have are about Trump's attacks because um, on the one hand, they're attacking their professionalism and even, I mean, I think he's attacking the role of a free press and a democracy. I think it's very fundamental, but yeah. I also think that it, it's all, you know, he's, there's a sense among journalists that he's kicking them when they're deeply down, which has made it that much more painful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like it's like your mother is telling you you need to clean up your room and you're saying, yeah, yeah, I was planning to do it. But but actually, yeah, your room kind of needs to be clean and maybe you should have spent more time on it. I mean, our industry, I think we all know that there's like your, it's almost like your mother's telling you that when you got the worst stomach yeah. you've ever had in your life and you're vomiting all over the walls of your bedroom and she's telling you to make your bed. Right. Yeah, no, sorry thank about, about th no, thank you for <laughs> thank you for polishing that that metaphor which in and of itself was questionable to start with. But that's what we're here to do, to try to make things better. You know, you said a couple of things that, that made me think. We've talked a lot about trust in media over the last couple of years on this podcast for obvious reasons. It's on a lot of people's minds. But, you know, the the things that people put forward as these are things that we kind of need to do to sort of explain who we are. We need to listen to our audience. We need to be more transparent in our process. We need to explain why we use anonymous sources, et cetera. We need to educate our readers as to who we are and what we're doing and why we do it the way we do it. Do you see these as, as you know, things that are going to have a substantial on sort of gaining that trust? I think it's part of the mix, but I don't think it's the biggest part. I mean, I think that, you know, the more we make this about us and 
how important we are and <laughs> how like we're we're like supermen and women who are protecting the American democracy, the, the less interest there's going to be for people to listen to that. It's a bit of a bind because we have to like, you know, going back to the 60% of the people think that we pay our sources. I mean, we have to like find a way to educate them to the fact that no, in fact, we don't pay our sources. But I do think there is a danger that we that we try to personalize this and make people care about us and we and make people care about the fact that a bunch of journalists are losing their jobs. Well, you know what? If you're if you work in a lot of industries, especially if they're manufacturing industries, a lot of people have lost their jobs and you don't see I'm not sure how receptive people are gonna be to that. What I think we need to focus on is less about why journalism as a profession is important as opposed to why the effects of journalism are important. So I may not care that there's a reporter that lost his job at a local newspaper, but if if you frame it like you may not care about them, but do you care that somebody is watching to make sure that your school board is spending the money that they're supposed to be spending on your, on your kids? Do you care that there is somebody who's looking at the manufacturing plant upriver and making sure they're not dumping a bunch of garbage into the river that your kids are swimming in? Do you care that the police chief is misspending part of his department's money on personal, you know, things and it's not going to sort of solve crime? And I think almost universally people say, yeah, we really care about that. So we have to sort of connect the effect of what we do to how it impacts people's lives. You know, we, in the same issue of the magazine that this poll is in, we also went and we looked at news deserts, which which is now a kind of popular term that people use to describe what happens when news goes away. And again, like there's been a lot of hand wringing on the fact that we have these news deserts in mm -hmm. America. And but what we decided to do was like, all right, let's let's not obsess about that as much as what does it mean? How is life different if you're in a news desert versus if you're not in a news desert? And we'll be publishing this online shortly. But basically, we looked at things like household income, poverty rate, high school graduation rate, college graduation rate, broadband access. And across the board, life in news deserts is less good than if you live in a place that has a vibrant news environment. Now, we, there is a debate that we can have about the causal relationship. Did the fact that there's no newspaper cause these things? Or was the community declining anyway and the loss of the paper was just part of it? That's a debate that we can have. But the truth it is life is worse in, in a place where there's not a vital news source than ones that there is. So I think that's the message that we have to be talking about. And that gets us into like a whole other podcast about what's happening on local news. But I do think yeah. I do think it's directly related to this trust issue because if your contact with news is what you see on CNN and Fox News and MSNBC, I don't blame you for not trusting the news business. I mean, I watch that stuff too and I think a lot of it is insane. But if your contact is your local newspaper, which is writing about what time the library closes and what the local sports team scores are and how much the city manager made, it's easier to trust that outlet because there's a kind of like geographical closeness to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and they're writing about stuff that you know and care about. And it's harder to dispute. So anyway, I mean, 
we're seeing the kind of decimation of the local news landscape. And I think it's part of why this trust problem is getting worse. Yeah, I think that's that's true. And what we've seen, you know, from other podcasts we've done, we have other other people we talk to that that people value local news more than they do national news. Uh, you know, something right. that's close to the de- to them and has a bigger impact. But you know, as, as I said before, I mean, the local news ha- has been severely impacted by the economy and you know these news de- deserts that have been sort of created. Just on that, I mean, that's why I think. Even though this local news problem has been building for a while, I think there's a real sense of urgency in our profession because, you know, what we don't talk about very much is that a lot of these local local news outlets are getting quite bad because they're just starved for resources. And, you know, the, the longer they go and are starved and are kind of anemic, the harder the argument is to save them because people just look at them and say, well, this, there's nothing in here. Why are we saving this? Why is this a deal? Why is this a, a an emergency? So. There's real urgency to sort of do something to help these people. Yeah. And to go back to your earlier point about, you know, we were talking about, you know, I'd mentioned transparency, et cetera, these things that we sort of focus, you know, journalists tend to look at process. How can we fix our process? How can we, you know, make our journalism better so that it looks nicer? But it it seems to be what you're saying is that the results end of it have the greater impact. And, And maybe that's even the better selling point if you're trying to find a way to keep local journalism or journalism in general sustainable is, yeah. you know, focus on that end of the the argument. What's interesting, one of the things in the poll, just to get back to that, is respondents, especially those who think the country is headed in the right direction, didn't have a lot of confidence in people running the press. They did seem to have, uh, you know, confidence, greater co- confidence in the uh, reporters, the actual reporters checking their sources, et cetera. But when it came to talking about the, the the bosses and the people who own the news outlets, they seem to have less trust in that. Yeah, I mean, I sort of equate it to the same thing as the more sort of nebulous and faceless this stuff is, the the less people trust it. So that's why you get all this mistrust of mainstream news. But often if you name specific outlets or specific reporters, the the, the numbers go up. Um, sort of like what happens when people are asked whether they trust Congress and they always say no, but then you say, well, what about your congressman? And they say, well, he's great. So, I mean, I think that's why you see a lot of the, you see a lot of branding on the part of media organizations now more than ever. And also a branding of specific reporters um, because I think they feel like it's easier to sort of for that to connect. Yeah. And that's even almost sort of as uh, an old style approach to journalism where you, you know, highlight your, your, you know, your big sports reporter or your your columnist and their expertise. Well, yeah, I mean, people got away from that because um, you make people stars and they, then they actually want money. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> yeah. And then they leave, they get poached, and you're, you're out of luck. So there had been, there's been sort of a move away from that. But now, like, now you see, um, I mean, these reporters, especially at these big outlets, are, I mean, you're almost in kind of free agency land because, you know, you have these people who they have bylines at the Washington Post or the New York Times, but then they have like big TV gigs and they're getting like book deals and they're getting like in cable documentaries. And, you know, these are real sort of celebrity factor going on there. Yeah, well, I guess that's good for, you know, if you're able to build your individual brand. They go on on podcasts. Yeah, like you. You know, because you're, you're making the big bucks 
in in journalism. Exactly. You know that you know that um, the university is where the money is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's 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 funny the people who go from journalism into university work. You know that that's uh-huh. is that a is that a step up or step down? I don't know. So, where do we go from here? Maybe that's the best question to ask. I mean, this is like uh, the cold water in the face. You know, what should we be doing? I mean, I guess I, I come down on it in in two ways. Like, I think we have to we have to t- keep telling ourselves like, don't make this about us. Nobody cares. And I'm not even sure they should make it about the work and about the effect of the work. And I think if we do that, I think what people want, what news consumers want is actually very much aligned with what great news values, are, which is right wrongs, speak truth to power, go after the bad guys, you know, celebrate things that are great try to make the world a better place. I mean, I'm, I'm very quickly kind of going into like pablum and, and kind of feel good tropes, but those are some of the core values of what news is supposed to be about. I think that we, I mean, I think that we shouldn't be shy about sort of celebrating that part of who we are and that part of what we do. And, and I just think that like, I mean, I look at some of how like news outlets sort of market themselves these days. And, and it's very, it's quite pious. I mean, yes, <laughs> democracy does die in darkness, but that's not going to like sell me on why the Washington Post is good for the country. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the, in actuality, the Washington Post has, and has done amazing, important work that have, that has, you know, toppled crooked people that has sort of exposed, you know, big sort of structural problems in the country. And that's what we should be talking about. Let me circle back to something you mentioned earlier. As the 2020 election approaches, you know, have we learned enough or are we beginning to see the the emergence of the, the horse race coverage happening? I mean, so we, after 2016, did a, I thought it was a terrific piece, like looking at, we looked at the front pages of the Washington Post and the New York Times and looked at all their political coverage and we analyzed it based on what kind of story it was. You know, was it policy? Was it horse race? Was it personality? Was it sort of trivia? And our finding was obvious, which is it was much too skewed on the policy and the horse race and the inside Washington stuff and not on the other stuff. And we published this and a lot of people have come to sort of the same analysis, right? That there, this stuff was not was skewed. And, you know, and a lot of us wrote pieces like we have to do better. This was a real flub. We can't do this again. So the really the, the very the, the beginning of the 2020 election was really on New Year's Day when Elizabeth Warren announced her candidacy. And I don't know if you remember, but she put out a video. And and what was the coverage for a woman who has like a very rich record of policy for people to judge on? The coverage was all about. Should she have done this over the holiday? What about the video? Why why did they shoot it that way? What does polling show about her versus the other candidates? And it was like, I mean, I just sort of groaned and I was like, oh my God, we're we're we've learned nothing. We're right back to where we started. And and we have now this dynamic that's setting up. I mean, this this democratic field is absurd. Yeah. And it's gonna be like really hard to sort of focus our attention on what we need to focus on when you have so many people just trying to jockey for, I mean, they're going to say anything just to get some attention. So one of the things I've been thinking about 
and I think that CJR could have a role in like, instead of waiting until like December of 2020 to do yet another story, looking back on the coverage of the campaign and saying, look at all the stuff that people did wrong. We're, we're trying to find a way to, that we can do this in real time so we can sort of have a kind of dashboard that will we can sort of track how the coverage is going. We're working on that. And I don't think the early showings have been very good. No. One would hope it would, we would have learned something, but we're just slow to do that for some reason. And then there's a lot of like, I mean, you know, social media really plays a big role in this. And, you know, you alluded to the fact that like, Doing these kind of bigger structural stories just takes more more time and more people and more energy. And we don't live in a journalistic business climate where there's a lot of time and people. So it favors – anybody can sort of do a take on somebody's ad that appears on the internet or anybody can do a kind of like riff on what insiders are saying based on gossip. But it takes a lot more energy and time to do something that's more substantive. Especially if you're trying to compete in an environment where people, you know, have only the time or, or the inclination to to eat small bites of news. That being said, I mean, we do see that. But that's not even that's not even true. I mean, if you look at like if you look at the most read stories on almost any news website, they almost always include deep, substantive, longer form stuff. Yeah. It's just not true that people just only read bite size. I mean, I think that. That's something that that the news business likes to tell itself because it it's easier, but it, their own data disproves that. Yeah, well, and actually, that was what was good. The, the next thing I was going to say, but data shows us that that there is a place and that people are consuming the longer stories. You know, there's a lot of things that that go into this. Is how you measure your audience. How you know what what are your targets? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to build a brand? Are you trying to get people to come back to read? You know, to to recognize you as a, a valued source? Are you, are you just trying to get their eyes for a few seconds at a time? Anyway, uh, Kyle, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm really interested to see if you guys do develop this dashboard for the 2020 election. I think that'll be a a great tool for. Uh, well, for journalists, but also for for the public to see how well we're we're doing in in covering uh, the election. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to put together an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Hilly wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Amelia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.